All right. Well, y'all ready for the word? I'm ready to share. I am more than ready to share. So what are we talking about? What book are we in? All right, two people know. The book of the Revelation. The revelation of Yeshua. What does revelation mean? Unveiling. God is opening up a curtain and showing us His truth and showing us things to come. And so, um, last week we talked a little bit about this scroll. This, this enigmatic scroll that you know, if you, again, if you Google the scroll of Revelation, um, the scroll with seven seals, you will get, on just on page one, you'll get 20 hits. On the whole site, you'll get 2 million hits. And you'll probably get 1,999,999 opinions. Please. Throw it all away. We need to hear from God. If it's important enough for God to put it in His Word, it's important enough for us to understand what it means. And the fact that there are so many opinions and, and nuances of, of you know, literally everything in the Word, and the fact that there are how many thousands of denominations that believe that they have the corner on truth, it's just sad. And you know, the Messianic movement is no better um, in some ways. There are a lot of cuckoos in every realm of the body of Messiah, but in the, in the Messianic movement, there's, there's just a lot of fringe elements. And, you know, everybody wants to... Uh, be a divinator of God's latest secrets. And I'm, I'm just pouring out my heart to you guys. Um, don't, don't go after secrets. Don't go after the latest person or, or somebody who's got the, the latest download from God about, you know, who is who and who's the Antichrist and what's going to happen and just please stop. I have had conversations with people, especially in light of opening up, unveiling the book of Revelation. And uh, stay true to his word. Make sure that what you live, what you believe, is repeated throughout Scripture and clear. Scripture interprets Scripture. Mic drop. It's not... If I, if I don't know something, and there is a lot that I don't know, and the more I learn, the more I realize... The old saying, how little I really know. But if we're, un, you know, 
showing something out of the Word that seems to be repetitious, and, and it, you know, it's convicting that it is the truth, great. But if it's something that I'm not sure of, and maybe it's my opinion, I will tell you. Don't believe anything I say. I've said this over and over again. Be a Berean Jew. Search the Scriptures. Listen, if they did it for the guy who wrote two-thirds of the Brit Hadashah, the New Testament, you better be doing it for anybody else. Go to the Scripture. And go to the Scripture with a, with a tender, open heart to God. Don't go to this website and that website and this book and that book. Nothing against people who are teaching, because there are some wonderful teachers. We're on the web, right? There are some great books. <clears throat> but what we often do is we go to those people that will confirm our pre-existing theology. And we reject people who don't agree with our pre-existing theology. That's the nature of, of our humanness that we have to get away from. And so let's hear from God. And if you don't agree with something I say or anything I say, that's okay. I'm not here to conform anybody's thinking. I'm here to just share what, what I see in the Word and what what is blatantly there to me, you know? I said this yesterday to somebody, and I hope this doesn't offend anybody, but the door swings both ways. You're free to come in, and you're free to leave, you know? Um, the door is only locked after everybody's gone. We're not going to force you to believe anything. Having said that, I hope that there is consistency and a sense of conviction as we move through the Word on what we're talking about here in the book of the Revelation. <clears throat> and... Uh, a lot of what we are talking about may be new to people. And it's not because, again, I'm looking for the latest secret and, you know, and so forth. I just want to know what the Word says. And I have a mandate from God to share it with you as He shows me. Again, I'm human. When He comes, we will know as He is. Right? So, Lord, we ask you to show us your ways, Adonai. Teach us your path. Lead us in your truth. And teach us for you, Lord, are the God of our salvation. On you and you alone we wait all the day. So I'm going to repeat how I sort of begin, began every session on this book with the same basic premise. And that's because, not because it's my opinion, but because that's what we see over and over and over again in Scripture. And we'll continue to see that as we open up uh, the fifth chapter of Revelation, the book of the Revelation today, and the sixth chapter, I should say.
The interpretation of prophecy will never be accurate without recognizing this fact. You ready? The foundation of all end-time prophecy is the fulfillment of God's promise of redemption to Israel and the Jewish people. Now, does that mean it's not going to affect us or the rest of the world or that we're not included? Of course not. I said the foundation. But guess what? Who are you grafted into? The commonwealth of Israel. Of course, if you are aligned with God and, and know the Creator, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you are going to be part of the fulfillment of prophecy. Hopefully in a good way. And so... Please keep that as a foundation because we will see that today probably as much or more than any other message that I have given with regard to the book of the Revelation. Everybody likes timelines. Everybody likes colorful things and PowerPoints and stuff. So this is where we're going to start. The spring feasts were fulfilled 2,000 years ago. Passover. Hag Habikurim, the Feast of First Fruits, right? And Shavuot, Pentecost, fulfilled on those days, exactly, precisely as God embedded them into the Feast of Israel, into the Lord's Feasts, right? 3,500 years ago when he gave it through Moshe to the children of Israel. The Fall Feasts will be fulfilled when he comes again. Yom Truah, the Feast of Trumpets. Not a coincidence that he will come at the sound of the heavenly shofar, the trumpet. Yom Kippur, the second of the fall feasts. And I'll get deep into this sometime in a few weeks. Yom Kippur, the day of covering, the day of really eschewing, the removal of all potential for sin, the judgment seat, and Sukkot, the heavenly tabernacle when God decides to come live with us in the new Jerusalem. He will fulfill, just like he did in the spring feast, the fall feast, precisely, exactly on those days for those reasons embedded into the feast. So what happens between the spring and the fall? Summer! We are in summer, which is the great harvest season. And Yeshua said in John 4, Open your eyes and look at the fields. They are already ripe for harvest. The one who reaps receives his wages and gathers fruit for eternal life. We have one job. How many hundreds of times have I said that? That's our job. Now. And why is that our job? Number one, because God commanded us. And number two, because we are fast approaching, and if you don't believe this, 
you're either an ostrich with your head in the sand or you're a few bulbs short of a full chandelier. <laughs> we are approaching the last days. The world is not getting better. The world is running farther and farther from God, which means darkness is growing, which means that our light has to shine ever brighter in the midst of the darkness. But we are coming down to the last of the last days. And that final time period, that final seven years that was, that was opened up to us in the ninth chapter of Daniel with the 70 weeks, that last seven years is approaching. How do I know? How do you know, Robichek? They've been saying that forever. When in history where the Jewish people back in their land where more than 50% of all Jews in the world are now in the nation of Israel and all the enemies of Israel, plural, that are outlined in how many prophecies are literally lined up in, in hatred of Israel. Tell me. Never happened. We're in the midst of it. Those final seven years are approaching, and we know that the second half of that seven-year period, just based on what Daniel 9 says, and numerous scriptures throughout the Bible, the last 42 months, three and a half years, 1260 to 90 days is the great tribulation, otherwise known as the great persecution. Where are we? We're right here. And God has called Tracy and I to two things. He told us this when when we first, right after we first met. Number one. We are to prepare the body for what is to come. And number two, we are to empower and um, equip the body for the work of the gospel in this day and age. That's it. That simple. And guess what? We're not unique. Every one of us are called to those two purposes because they're one and the same. So, the great tribulation. And what does the Scripture say over and over and over is the purpose of the great tribulation, the foundational purpose, is to bring redemption and restoration to the nation of Israel. The persecution. It's otherwise called what? Jacob's trouble. Who is Jacob? It's not a trick question. Who's Jacob? Yeah. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Israel is the children of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. 
And once that restoration comes during, through the chastisement of the great tribulation, the day of trumpets is going to, we're going to hear that heavenly trumpet and Yeshua is going to come. It says, I will not return until I hear you say, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That means they're going to have to say it. Who? The Jewish people. They're going to have to say it. They're going to have to recognize it. And that's what the Great Tribulation is about. The downside of that is that also is the beginning of what's called the Day of the Lord, which is the Day of Vengeance. The King returns. Resurrection. You and I, the believers, along with the believers of the nation of Israel, will be raised and will receive our redeemed bodies. And then begins the day of judgment, which ends as I talked about, the New Jerusalem, the marriage supper in Sukkot. This, these events from the great persecution, the great tribulation, Jacob's trouble, through the, the marriage supper of the Lamb, the New Jerusalem is what is contained in the book of Revelation and what is contained in the instructions, that the manual that is to prepare us for this time. It's not secrets and magic so that, like I said, you can tell everybody that you know the secrets of God. It is a manual of instructions to prepare us for this time. And there hasn't been another time in history that this book is not is more important. Will all of us be here? I don't know. Will it be in a year, five years, ten years, thirty years? I don't know. But it's going to happen soon. And when you look at eternity, even thirty years, fifty years is a puff of air in the, in the breath of God. And so if we aren't going to be here, we better be the role models for our children and our children's children and teach them because one of the next generations is going to see it. And I'll be honest with you, my personal opinion, it's going to happen before I breathe my last breath too much that are lining up, too much. And so, we have these final seven years beginning with this covenant with the many. Do, what do we know what, what that's going to look like? I don't know. Will it be obvious? It will be obvious to those of us who are paying attention, who are looking at Jerusalem, who are looking at Israel, and looking for a covenant, a contract, something, an agreement with the many that is going to directly impact Israel, Jerusalem, and the Jewish people. I have some guesses, I have some ideas. But that's guesses of how that's going to look. The great persecution starts halfway 
three and a half years after that agreement is made, that agreement will be aborted and all hell will break loose. Where? On Israel. And that will be the culmination of what Revi Shaul, Paul said, that all Israel will be saved. Do we even know what that means? The second coming of Yeshua ends the great persecution. And the beginning of the judgment comes at that time. The seven seals, opening of the seven seals, the seven trumpets and the seven bowls are about that particular time period from the great persecution through the end of the day of vengeance of the Lord. Now, the day, the, the, the seven seals, unfolding of the seven seals, which we will get to, into in depth today, is part of the great persecution. I'm just going to say that up front. At the end of the sixth seal, something, or with, actually with the fifth seal, something changes. Remember, the first four seals, and we'll go through this, are the, the, the famous four writers of the apocalypse. And then something happens with the fifth seal. And then the sixth seal is a remarkable turning point that leads to this time space between, at least in the book of the Revelation, the sixth seal and the seventh seal. And it's during this seventh seal that the trumpets and then subsequently the bowls are poured out. Okay? That was just a preview for free. So the seals, Again, something happens right at the, the sixth seal that moves us into these seven trumpets and these seven bowls. So last week, I hope and pray that those who were here and heard the message, saw the message, or if you didn't, you saw it online, and if you didn't, please, this is all you know, going to be Gibberish in many ways, I pray not. Lord, forgive me. It'll be clear. I'm hopeful that last week we clarified about what this scroll was. And I pray that this week the clarity comes even, even more in depth. And so last week with chapter 5, we asked several questions. What is this scroll? What, what's so important, holy about this scroll that nobody is worthy other than Yeshua to open it. And how and why did Yeshua win the right to unseal this scroll? And why is it sealed in the first place? And then we kind of asked the questions but never answered it. Why is it so important to unseal it? And when will it be unsealed? And I'm hopeful that we'll begin answering those questions today. <clears throat> but before I do, what we have to understand about this time of the great persecution. 
I guarantee you that 99.9% .9 of those that interpret the Great Tribulation interpret it as a worldwide event that's going to affect Christians. Not as a localized event that is happening in Israel that will impact primarily the Jewish people, the land of Israel, and by extrapolation and extension, those that are aligned with them who are part of the remnant of the body of Messiah as well. So remember Daniel 12. We've gone through this several times, but I want to point out some things here that we didn't focus on the last few times. When that time comes, talking about the times of the end, Michael, the great prince who champions who? This is the interactive portion. Who? <laughs> Your people, right? Who is Daniel's people? The Jewish people, the children of Jacob, the children of Israel, will stand up, and there will be a time of distress unparalleled between the time they became a nation and that moment. Who is they? At that time, your people will be delivered, everyone whose name is found written in the book. This is called Jacob's trouble. Yeshua himself, in the Olivet Discourse, quoted this verse exactly when he talked about the end of the age and the time of his coming in answer to the questions that the disciples asked him when they looked at the temple and asked him, and, and he said, it's all going to be destroyed. And who are these people that the focus of this time, this event, these events, I should say, they are the Jewish people. And this book is, comes from the Hebrew word sefer, right? We talked about it last week. The, the word sefer in Hebrew is an inscription, a writing. It's a scroll. There were no books. What, what do we, the first description of a book, which is described under the, you know, the bibliographical term called the codex. A codex is something where you turn pages. Right? The first codex known to man occurred in the, in the second or third century, which was 800 years after Daniel wrote this. So the concept of a book isn't the same as us. This is a scroll. And again, the Jewish people. And what did he say right after that? But you, Daniel, keep these words secret and what? Seal up the scroll until the time of the end. I don't know, but it seems pretty obvious to me that this is a scroll that is now being unsealed in the book of the Revelation. I mean, kick me if you think I'm dumb, but... 
Seal up is the Hebrew term chatam, to close up, especially to seal with a wax seal or wax seals. Seal up the what? The sefer, the scroll, until the time of the end. And so, again, I'm just reviewing what we talked about last week. What is the scroll? It is the scroll of life. Why is it so critical? Because in it are the names of the Jewish people and those grafted in who will spend eternity in the presence of God. That's why it's so holy. And that's why, you know, John, Yohanan, when, when he heard that nobody was worthy to open the scroll, because he knows exactly what that scroll is, because he studied Daniel, he cried uncontrollably. That, that term, he cried and cried in the Hebrew literally means to cry convulsively. Because nobody was worthy to open the scroll. How are we going to know? This is the most important thing to a Jew. Am I written in the book of life? And he, the scripture says that there is one. The Lamb of God. And why did he win the right? How did he win the right? It says because of his blood sacrifice. Go back and read chapter 5. He gave his life so the names of those who received him would be written in the scroll of life. He won the right. Himself. Nobody else. And why is it sealed? It is to be revealed at the time of the end. And so that's what we're looking at here. Chapter 1, by whom, to whom, for whom, about whom is this book? For what purpose? Chapters 2 and 3, I send out in an email the links to all the messages that we had a couple years ago. I can't believe it was that long. I thought it was just like a few months ago. But um, of all the letters to the seven congregations, go back and watch it. If you're not on our email list, let us know your email. I'll send it. We'll send it out again. Chapter 4, the setting, we're in the throne room. But I want to go back to chapter 1 because this is critical at setting the stage of who, what, when, and where the book of Revelation is unveiling. This is the beginning, right? To the seven messianic communities in the province of Asia, grace and shalom to you from the one who is, who was, and who is coming. Right? This is verses 4 through 6, from the sevenfold spirit from before his throne, and from Yeshua the Messiah, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the earth's kings, to him, the one who loves us, who has freed us from our sins at the cost of his blood. Again, this is preparing us for what he's going to unveil to us. He's giving us the introduction. Who has caused us to be a kingdom, that is, koanim, priests, for God, his Father. To him be the glory and the rulership forever and ever. Amen. Right? We good? What's the next verse? Look. To seven. Thank you very much. Somebody's paying attention. Good. He is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, including those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the land will mourn him. Yes. Amen. How have we interpreted that historically? 
that the whole world will see Him. And that all the tribes that don't believe in Him will mourn because they realize that, oh my goodness, we didn't believe. Really? Let's look a little further. Because remember, it's not my opinion or your opinion or anybody else's opinion that counts as what the Word says. Verse 7, look, He is coming with the clouds. Look! He's coming with the clouds. Every eye will see Him, including those who pierced Him, and all the tribes of the land will mourn Him. Yes, Amen. Who is that? And where does this come from? This is a direct quote out of Ezekiel 12, which is the chapter in Ezekiel that talks about Jacob's trouble, the end of days. Verse 9 in Ezekiel 12, When that day comes, I will seek to destroy all nations attacking Yerushalayim. This is after he says that all nations will be attacking Yerushalayim. Jerusalem. And I will pour out on who? The house of David. And on those living where? In Yerushalayim. A spirit of grace and prayer. And they will look to me, whom they've pierced. Exact same words as what we just read in the first chapter of the book of the Revelation. They will mourn. Who will mourn? The house of David living where? <gasps> really? He's talking about them? You bet your bibby. They will look to me whom they pierced. They will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. They will be in bitterness on his behalf like the bitterness for a firstborn son. When that day comes, there will be great mourning in Jerusalem. Where? In Jerusalem. What is this, this term, mourning? This is, this is the Hebrew term for repentance. The Jewish people in Jerusalem will be repentant. And what's he going to pour out on the Jewish people on the house of David in Jerusalem? A what? A spirit of grace and prayer as they repent and cry out. What's going to make them repent and cry out? They're about this close to annihilation. You think the Holocaust was bad, right? We talked about this. Six million. Not hundred, not thousand. Six million Jewish people were murdered in the Holocaust including my, grand, my two grandfathers, my mom's dad, my dad's parents, and his entire family, right? Six million. And that is going to pale in comparison with what this is going to happen in, in, at this time. Why? How do we know that? We just read it. There will be a time... This time, like no other time in history, it says. 
And so Revelation 1 sets the foundation, sets the, the, you know, the setting. That's the setting. I didn't pass English. The setting of the entire book of Revelation is set right here. Look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, including those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the land will mourn him. Now, I want to focus on this word, the land, because it's translated in several different ways in several different Bibles, including the complete Jewish Bible, which is the Bible that we use predominantly here. That word for land is the word gay in, in Greek. It literally means soil. And by extension, it's a, it's a country, it's a ground, it's an earth, it's a land. But more often than not, it's translated earth or world. What is it referring to here? If we know that this is a direct quote out of Ezekiel, and Ezekiel is talking about what part of the world? Jerusalem. What is this land? All the tribes. What tribes is he talking about? The 12 tribes, the Jewish people. That's always an, an idiom for the Jewish people. And what land is he talking about? Jerusalem, which is always idiomatic of the land of the Jews. And so when we see this word in the book of the Revelation, I want you to remember what it's referring to. Jerusalem. Now, why is that important? It's critical in our understanding of what happens as we unseal the scroll. Absolutely critical. And nobody that I know of, and, and again, this isn't about, oh, I found out a secret. No, I'm just, I'm just reading what the Scripture says. I have not heard any, well, I, I take that back. I've heard a couple of people talk about the scrolls and the seals, unsealing the scroll with this in mind. But it's rare. Because most people who interpret Scripture, and especially the book of the Revelation, do so with a Western, Anglo-Saxon, Protestant perspective rather than a Hebraic perspective sitting in the east on Mount Zion in Jerusalem. Never Ever in the entirety of Scripture is it more important to stand on Mount Zion when we're reading the book of the Revelation than when we're reading the book of Revelation. All right? So here we go. The seven scrolls. The seven sealed scrolls. We're going to open them up one by one and see what it means. Right? The first four we talked about, the horsemen of the apocalypse. And then it talks about, you know, the, the martyrs under the... the uh, you know, the throne seat of God. And then it talks about these cosmic changes in the heavens and on the earth. And then there's a pause. So people say, until we get to the seventh, which begins the seven trumpets. So let's dive in. The first seal. Before I read this, let me ask again. What is the great tribulation? What is the great persecution? 
It's called Jacob's Trouble. Who is, where is the epicenter of, of this series of events? Jerusalem. Okay, just wanted to make that clear. Got it? Get it? Get it? Got it. Good. All right. You guys are slow. Next, I watched as the lamb broke the first of the seven seals. All right? Who broke it? He's the only one that's worthy of breaking this. Only one. Because it was through his blood that whatever is contained in this scroll is even there. He broke the first of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living beings saying in a thundering voice, Go. Now, the actual Greek doesn't say go, although it can. Most of the time, it literally means come and see. And so, and, and many of your translations will actually say that. For some reason, the, the complete Jewish says go, but it seems like he's talking to Yohanan saying, come and see. Why? Because verse 2, and I looked, and there in front of me was a white horse. Its rider had a bow and was given a crown, and he rode off as a conqueror to conquer. What is a white horse in Scripture? And again, if I had the chance, and now I want you to go and, and study this, but what is a white horse? At the time of Yohanan, just from a historical perspective and from scriptural perspective, a white horse is typically a horse that a conquering general would ride on. Somebody who is conquering, who is going out intending for war, to lead his army to war. A bow is something that the one at the, at the head marks them as the leader. And the crown is not the crown of glory. That's not the word in the Greek. It's, the, it's a wreath. It's a wreath, and, and that's used often during this time in the Greek uh, world, if you will, for a wreath that is given to somebody who wins an athletic event. So this is, this is painting a picture of somebody on a horse. Now, what are they doing on that horse? They, they are a conqueror going out to make war, to conquer. And that's what it says. He rode off. Does it say he began conquering? No, it says he rode off as a conqueror to conquer. The beginning of this three-and-a-half-year period called the Great Persecution becomes clear when that covenant, that agreement is aborted, and whoever is going to ride off to conquer becomes obvious. This, they are ready to move. They are riding off to conquer. It doesn't represent... Now, how many times have you heard that this rider on the white horse, that's the Antichrist? No? If you, if you 
if you read other people and, and Google it, people say, yeah, that's the Antichrist. He's, on, he's the, going out to conquer and to conquer. Well, then, who's the rider on the red horse? His cousin? What about the black horse? That's his nephew. And the pale horse? Okay, I know I'm, I'm being facetious, sort of, but this is idiomatic. This is not a person. This is an event. Something is going to change midway through this seven-year period that's going to be obvious to those who are paying attention, and the whole world will support it. That is the key. The whole world will support it. And whoever is going to start conquering will amass their armies, if you will, and begin to ride. And when he broke the second seal, I heard a second living being say, Go, or come and see. And another horse went out, a red one, and its rider was given the power to take peace away from the earth and to make people slaughter each other. He was given a great sword. So who, what is this? So we have the first event. They're getting to, ready to ride and they're moving out. And here they're actually given the power to take peace away from where? What do you think this word is? Gee. Same word. Why do we translate it in chapter 1 is land, because that's what Ezekiel said, and now here we change it to the whole earth. If you look at many translations, it says the world. What is the great tribulation, the persecution about? That's the same word. So, the power to take peace away from the land. Where? And make people slaughter each other. He was given a great sword. This is it. It's not only an army that's amassing and moving towards Israel and Jerusalem. Now, they've got one purpose to slaughter. A great sword. Again, idiomatic. You can read it any way you want. Just, just follow me here. When he broke the third seal, I heard the third living being say, Go, come and see. And I looked, and there in front of me was a black horse, and its rider held in his hand a pair of scales. The black horse, always, in, if you look at Greek literature, if you look at literature of the day of Yohanan, always represents what? Famine. Then I heard what sounded like a voice from among the four living beings saying two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, six pounds of barley for the same price. Well, this is the Antichrist and we're all not supposed to have 666 stamped on our hand and if we do, we're not going to be able to buy and sell, right? Stop it. What are we talking about here? 
We're talking about the land. There is going to be famine in the land of Israel. Why? And remember, these aren't happening day back to back or hour to hour. This may be, this is a three and a half year period we're talking about. We don't know how long it's going to take, days, weeks, months, for this to unfold. Do you know um, which two nations have the uh, overwhelming percentage of wheat and barley in the world today? Take a guess. Uh, who? Russia and Ukraine. Just coincidence that Russia wants Ukraine for what? Because it's originally part of the Russian Empire, and always was, and always will be. Oh, please. We are seeing the setup. What does this mean? Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages? I mean, think about that. Two pounds of wheat make a few loaves of bread and a full day's wage? says, but don't damage the oil or the wine. What does that mean? I have no idea. I have a guess, and I think my guess is pretty accurate if, I, if I'm, you know, listening. But this is mine. The oil and the wine are believers in the land. And the, you know, the actual Greek word instead of damage means to touch. So there's going to be famine, but believers in the land may not be touched. Again, we'll see. But there are other scriptures in the book of Revelation that actually point to this that the believers in the land at that time will be given really unique and special powers, miracle, wonder-working powers, it says. But we'll see. I, I'm just telling you right now, I'm not sure. Just to point out this, this connection between supply and demand of wheat and bread and famine, Leviticus 26 says, I will cut off your supply of bread so that ten women will bake your bread in one oven and dole out your bread by weight, and you will eat but not be satisfied. This is not talking about necessarily that event, but it's giving an understanding of the, the correlation between bread and famine. The fourth seal. I heard the voice of the fourth living being say, Go, come and see, and I looked. And there in front of me was a pallid, sickly-looking horse. Its rider's name was Death, and Sheol followed behind him. They were given. Who's they? The rider, whose name was Death, and Sheol. What's Sheol in Hebrew? It's not hell. It's the grave. It's the grave. Sheol is, is grave. In, in, it's, the, it's the idiom for grave in Hebrew. So death and the grave followed behind him, and they were given authority to kill one quarter of the what? World. Guess what 
word that is. By war, famine, plagues, and with the wild, it says, beasts of the land. Now, it's interesting because different translations group these words differently. <clears throat> this is what... <clears throat> Given authority to quill, kill one quarter of the world, right? So they were given authority to kill one quarter of the world. What is that? Again, that, that word is gay. In the Greek, the land, Jerusalem. Now, could it mean that they, whoever this, this entity is will be given the right, the authority to kill a fourth of the people in Jerusalem? It's possible. But the actual words say this, authority was given to them, talking about the writer, death, and Sheol, over a fourth of the land to kill by sword and by famine and by plague and by wild beasts of the earth. Okay? Again, a fourth of the land. And I just want to point out something, and I did this research, and I've, I've done this research before, and every time I do the research, it gets closer and closer to a fourth. I'm not saying this is what is meant by this. But all I know is that 74 to 75% of, by religion, of people in the land of Israel are Jewish. Which means that one-fourth are not of which most of those are Arab. So the words actually say, I will give authority, and they will give the authority to one-fourth of the land to kill. Everybody got the math? That is my mathematical interpretation of one-fourth. Is that how it's going to happen? We'll see. But it's certainly coincidental. Now, if that word, for, for whatever reason, of gay in, in, in Greek literally means the world, that a quarter of the world will be given authority, what do we know today is the reality? That exactly 25% of the world's population is Muslim. And we talked about the enemies of Israel and, and the ideology of Islam and so forth in previous um, discussions, so I'm not going to get back into that. This is just, I'm just sharing these statistics with you. What does that mean? I don't know. What, I, what do we know? That whoever is coming against the land is going to slaughter people, and now the slaughtering is happening. When the fourth seal is open, death arrives. And whether a fourth of them are aligned with this group and going to help kill these, these, the Jewish people in Jerusalem, or whether a fourth of the people in Jerusalem are going to die, whatever it is, it's a massacre. It's a massacre. And guess what? The entire world will sit back and clap. 
says the whole world will come against Jerusalem. Can you imagine? How many years ago was the Holocaust? 80 years ago. There are people still alive today that were in the Holocaust. And it's going to happen again, and the world again is going to go, eh, those Jews. What? So, they deserve it. And here we go. We've had four writers. Now comes the fifth seal and something changes. The entire focus of events changed. It says, when the Lamb broke the fifth seal... <clears throat> I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been put to death for proclaiming the word of God, that is, for bearing witness. Who's under the altar? The souls of those who were put to death for proclaiming the word of God. They cried out in a loud voice, Sovereign, Ruler, Hakadosh, the Holy One, the True One, how long will it be before you judge the people living on earth and avenge our blood? Each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants should be reached of their brothers who would be killed just as they had been. With this seal, as I said, the entire focus of the events shifts. It's as if the, the fifth seal is a, is a fulcrum, a pivot point. The first four describe the evolution of events perpetrated on the nation of Israel, and the fifth seal describes the first fruits of martyrdom. Might this be the believers among the Jewish people in Israel who during this time have said, Please come, Lord Yeshua. Messiah, come. The souls who died begin to cry out for God's judgment to stop the destruction and the killing. Stop, Lord, please stop it. It's, it's too much. Please. This is, this is not a, okay, God, you know, we're going to pray. We're going to believe that, you know, you're going to, you're going to get these people. No. This is God. Stop it. And each of them were given a white robe. A robe of holiness. A robe of victory. And they were told, just a little longer until the full number of your servants will be reached of your brother's who will be killed, just as you've been. You remember the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24? We talked about this months ago. And, uh, you know, maybe at some point during the next few weeks we'll bring that back in its, in its totality, but I want to read a part of it. <clears throat> this is Yeshua's Message on the end times, the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 11. These are all about the last days out of the mouth of Yeshua. Again, 
answering the, the disciples saying, when will the temple be destroyed? When will be the time of your coming and the end of the age? And he began to answer them. And he said in verse 15, so when you see the abomination that causes devastation spoken about through the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, Jerusalem, let the reader understand the illusion. That will be the time for those in Yehuda. Where? In New York. No? Brussels? Uh, Moscow. Beijing, come on. That will be the time for those in Yehuda, Judea, to escape to the hills. If someone is on the roof, he must not go down to gather his belongings from his house. If someone's in the field, he must not turn back to get his coat. What a terrible time it will be for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that you will not have to escape in winter or on Shabbat. For there will be, again, he is quoting Daniel now, for there will be trouble then. Where? In Judea. In Israel. Jerusalem. For there will be trouble then, worse than there has ever been from the beginning of the world until now, and there will be nothing like it again. They're sitting there facing the temple mount, and they're asking him, when will your coming be, and when will the time of the end be? And he's literally unveiling it for them. He says, indeed, if the length of this time had not been limited, no one would survive, but for the sake of those who have been chosen, its length will be limited. That's talking about the rapture, isn't it? Stop. The sixth seal. Then I watched as he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. The sun turned black as sackcloth, worn in mourning, and the full moon became blood red. The stars fell from heaven to the earth, just as a fig tree drops its figs when shaken by a strong wind. What's going on here? The sky receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved from its place. That's the sixth seal. Remember what I said. The first four seals are the great persecution. The fifth seal, you know, is this transition, this fulcrum point where it says just a little bit longer. And now we have the sixth seal. Let's go back to the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24. Right after he said that, but immediately following what? The trouble of those times. The great persecution when people, God, please don't leave on Shabbat. If you're pregnant, you're going to be in trouble. Get out. Get out. He said immediately after the trouble of those times, what? The sun will grow dark. The moon will stop shining. The stars will fall from the sky and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Isn't that what we just read in the book of the Revelation? Exactly. Almost word for word. And what's going to happen right after this? You ready? Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the tribes of the land will mourn, 
and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with tremendous power and glory. What land? What tribes? We just talked about it. Ezekiel. Right? When that day comes, I will seek to destroy all nations attacking Jerusalem, and I will pour out on the house of David and on those living in Jerusalem a spirit of grace and prayer. They will mourn. So what are we doing here? The great persecution has one major purpose. To result in the redemption and restoration of national Israel. Will the great tribulation and persecution affect the entire world? You bet. The sides are drawn. What side are we on? Whose side are we on? Right? Guess what? If you're aligned with God and Israel, and you get this, you're going to be persecuted just as, as intensely. What? Oh, yeah. Is it going to be the same? I don't know what it's going to look like here in the States. I can tell you right now that the United States used to be the best friend of Israel, and it no longer is. We're about to, if we can believe the reports, there's no reason not to, we're about to get into an agreement, a covenant with Iran that they aren't allowed to continue progressing to nuclear-level uranium. And, and for that, and this is a, a rebirth of the agreement from the Obama administration, that when Trump came in office, he stopped. It's a rebirth. And in exchange for them stopping to develop weapons of mass destruction, which they already have, by the way, just between you, me, and the lamppost, um, they are going to get literally tens, if not hundreds of billions of dollars. Could that be the agreement? It's with the many. And when it's aborted, and it will be, and when Iran, which is the centerpiece of the nations of the Gog-Magog alliance is Persia. What's Persia? Modern-day Iran. Along with all the other nations that are aligned with them, three and a half years after the agreement, destruction. Devastation. I don't know if that's going to be the agreement. But all I know is other things are lining up, like everybody's saying, peace, peace. In the midst of all that, we are now seeing what's called the Abraham Accords, where Israel is literally getting into treaties, peace treaties, with Arab nations who heretofore had their entire existence, basically, focused on the destruction of Israel, removal of the Jews out of Arab and Muslim land. So peace, peace. 
And then this agreement. And who knows how that's going to involve the quote-unquote Palestinian people and what, what will be connected to that. Just keep your eyes out and ears open. As Yeshua said if you, to the Pharisees, if you knew the signs of the times, if you paid attention, you would know who I am. You would know about my coming. That was for free. So the end of the great persecution comes with the day of trumpets. Just so happens, it's called Yom Truah, the day of trumpets. And the next phase, in the, as the seventh seal is broken, is about trumpets. But it also begins the day of vengeance and the day of judgment. So, the sixth seal again. Then I watched as he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. The sun turned black as sackcloth, worn in mourning, and the full moon became blood red. The stars fell from heaven to earth, just as a fig tree drops its figs when shaken by a strong wind. The sky receded, just like Yeshua said in Matthew. The powers of the heavens, the sun will turn black, the moon will become red, the stars will fall, and then what will happen? Then the earth's kings, the rulers, the generals, the rich and the mighty, indeed everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in caves and among the rocks in the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of the one sitting on the throne and from the fury of the Lamb, for the great day of their fury has come and who can stand? Let me tell you, The Jewish people know what the end of the age is going to look like. And when they see this all happen right before their eyes, they are going to recognize that they are about to see the great day of their fury. The one sitting on the throne in the fury of the Lamb. The first five seals are not God's fury. Hear me. The first six seals are not God's fury, right? The first four seals are Satan's fury. He wants to do sort of code. God is allowing it because he, like always, knows exactly what's going on and has right of approval. But his fury has not come even a little bit yet. This is the the attack on the Jewish people, Jerusalem and Israel, with the first four. The fifth seal is that fulcrum, that transition point. The sixth seal is all about recognizing, the Jewish people recognizing, oh, God's fury is about to, to fall. And then, Revelation 7 says this, and if you still don't believe that this is about the Jewish people, Israel and Jerusalem, God help me, because obviously I'm doing something wrong. So we're just going to touch base, and then we're going to call it a day. 
After this, I saw four angels. We're still between the sixth and the seventh seal, right? We haven't hit the seventh seal yet. He said, after this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of what? Holding back the four winds of the earth so that no wind would blow on the land, on the sea, or on any tree. I saw another angel coming up from the east with a seal from the living God. And he shouted to the four angels who had been given power to harm what? Same word. Why did it change from earth to land? And the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until what? We have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. I heard how many were sealed. What? 144,000 from Christians. No? Jehovah's Witnesses. No? From every tribe of the people of Israel. Now the number is idiomatic. Will it be exactly 12,000 from every tribe? 144 because there are 12 tribes described in the next several verses. All I know is this is about Jerusalem and Israel. 12,000 from every one of these tribes. And it's interesting because not all the original tribes are actually described here. And we'll talk a little bit about that next time. Anybody have any other ideas about what region of the world this is going to take place in and what people are going to be impacted and how it's going to look and how we need to be prepared and aligned with God. And why I tell you, I am praying, I am... Tracy and I have had dreams, independent dreams, before I knew any of this, that we were going to be in Israel during the great day of Jacob's I want to be there. Why do you want to be there, Robichek? Because I'm crazy. I'm crazy in love with God. And I want to see my people come to know him. And when all hell breaks loose, I want to walk the streets and say, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai, please know your Messiah, my brothers, my sisters. I could care less about a bomb dropping on me? Come on, what is our life? Hey, if I can be one of those people under the altar going, God, please. Or if I can be one of those still around, and that's what I pray, that I'm there, I don't care what else is going on, because I want to see him as he descends to the Mount of Olives, right? I don't know. Will I be alive at that time? We'll see. Amen? Praise God. <clears throat> All right. Stand with me. Hey, buddy, you are so good. They were. Thank you, guys, with, with our kiddos. 
I really appreciate you hanging in there, and the kiddos deserve a, you know, a, yes, they deserve an ovation. <laughs> also, something tangible their like parents. their parents. <laughs> yeah, their parents need the the biggest ovation. Right? <clears throat> oh, thank you, Father. We worship you, Father. We exalt you. We adore you. Father, help us to prepare for what is ahead. Help us to prepare ourselves, our families, our friends. Help us to, to bring people into the kingdom so that, that they don't have to be on the other side of your plan, Father. They can be aligned with you, know you, know your heart. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his face upon you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and be gracious unto you. I have no idea if I said that correctly, but <laughs> pretty close. And in Hebrew, I'll say it right. Shalom. Shabbat shalom, y'all. Love you. Shabbat.